Welcome once again to the Propreneur Podcast, where we help practice owners become better entrepreneurs. I'm your host, Dino Watt. And welcome once again, everybody, to the Propreneur Podcast. I'm your host, Dino Watt, and excited to have you here for another episode with our professional series on the best practices you can do in your practice in order to get the best results out of your team, out of your clients, and as a business owner. Again, if you are here for the first time, thank you for being here and welcome to the show. If this is not your first time, you've listened to us before, remember to share this podcast with your friends or colleagues and don't forget to subscribe. Today, we have a very special guest because again, this is a professional day where we're actually talking to people who are in the trenches every single day doing what is to serve our communities. And our episode title today is Why Orthodontic Technology Alone Isn't Enough Building Tech and practice. And our guest is none other than Dr. Jep Pascal. How are you doing, Dr. Jep? Doing well, thanks, Dino. Uh, yes. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. So excited to have you because I love technology and I love talking about how it's a matter of uh, using it as a tool, not as a replacement for things. And I, I think that's the, uh, the focus that we're going to really focus a lot on today. But before we get to all of that, I love to find out our guest's story, a story of what brought you here, what got you into this crazy world that you're in, and uh, why. So would you mind telling us that story? Yeah, uh, it's, you know, I, I, was, I was earmarked to be a medical doctor from, gosh, from probably the time I was about six or seven. And oh, really? I kind of grew up peripherally in a pediatric office. Uh, literally, would get off the school bus. My mother was an RN at a pediatrician's office, and wow. I mean, I, I grew up in the time when you had a lab in the pediatrician's office, you had an X-ray machine in their office, and I mean, I was doing blood auger and samples and taking X-rays in my own hand. I mean, back when I was like, you know, seven. Wow. And, uh, so I, you know, that was kind of my history. You know, uh, uh, kind of, a, it's weird, you know, we've got this whole COVID-19 thing going on as we speak, right? Yes. And, uh, and I, I literally have memories of my mother intentionally putting me in the waiting room when somebody had chicken pox. Right. So, yeah. Because oh, yeah. For those of you who are younger than I am, I'm 53. Um, those days, in those days, we didn't have a vaccine for chicken pox. So, right. you know, you were better off getting it as a child. And uh, so I hadn't had it. So my mom dosed me, you know. Yeah, um, that's, that's the same with me. Like, I, I remember when the, the buddy, the guy, the neighbor had it. And it was like, okay, all the kids get together and play because all the parents wanted us all right. to get it. Yeah. Yeah. You, we literally used to call them chicken pox parties. Yeah. You know? Yep. So uh, anyway, so, um, you know, as I went, through on, went on matriculating through high school, I was destined to be a medical doctor. I mean, I, I loved it. Um, there were, you uh, know, but, but the funny thing was, is when I got through, I got to my kind of sophomore year in medical school and into my junior year, and um, I had a, uh, I get basically got the, the dreaded mononucleosis. Mm. So I had a protracted period of time where I was kind of isolated and around that medical environment and sick people and this, that, and the other. And then a good friend of mine got uh, appendicitis when I was a junior in, in college. And she had about a week of time where she was in the hospital. And so I was going into the hospital a good bit to visit her and all that stuff. And she had some complications. Um, and all of a sudden I woke up one day and I realized I don't particularly enjoy being around sick people all the time. <laughs> you know, I enjoyed the, I, I really, I really enjoyed the kind of the technical and the puzzle part. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but I didn't find myself enjoying the sick people part, you know? And so as I, as I think back to that, that's what my dilemma was. Um, so I started retracting a little bit and kind of looking out what else was on the landscape. Um, ironically, my dentist had told me a couple years prior, don't ever go into dentistry because the golden years are over. Oh, really? Um, yeah, flat out. So fast forward a couple years, um, I decided to go to dental school and uh, day one in dental school, I was earmarked uh, to be a prosthodontist and uh, in, dental, in dentistry. And um, I, it, it's, that's another story in and of itself. But at my four years in dental school, um, I pretty much did everything necessary to go into prosthodontics. Um, and then I went into prosthodontics and actually graduated as a prosthodontist. Um, and then during my pros career, uh, I went to San Antonio, University of Texas Health and Science Center in San Antonio. And during my time there, they had a, a focused general practice residency in the hospital. Um, and I was treating a lot of sick patients as a prosthodontist. So I did an additional 12 months in a GPR there to learn how to treat medically compromised patients. Um, and that ended up being great. Um, then I graduated from there and moved to uh, Atlanta, Georgia, practiced prosthodontics for about five years. And at about year three and a half or four, I figured out that I didn't like the whole thing of prosthodontics. Um, I loved the puzzle, but again, I screwed up. See, I'm, I'm, a, I'm, I'm a school of hard knocks. I never learned my lessons, right? <laughs> so I figured out the puzzle. Destined to repeat it. You know, I, I, I love the puzzle, but I figured out that, you know, I wasn't really liking the lifestyle of working all day. And if you want to be a really good prosthodontist, you have to handle the lab component. And that requires being in the lab till late at night um, until you're at a certain point where you can afford a lab technician. Mm-hmm. Um, then after that, after that, I realized that maybe this wasn't the, the right field for me. So I started looking out. I actually thought about dropping out of dentistry altogether. Wow. And, um, yeah. And going into the technical side and doing networking and things like that. Because at that time, this is early 2000s, you know, network specific issues and computer management hadn't really cropped up in the healthcare field yet. Right. Um, but I had a good friend of mine that was a prosthodontist, or excuse me, an orthodontist. And we, uh, he didn't realize that I was looking around um, at this point. And without me even prodding him, he was like, you need to be an orthodontist because we were doing a lot of patient care in conjunction with one another. And he sort of knew how I thought. So um, I turned around and started looking into it, found out I loved it. And I have never looked back. Um, how many years ago was that? That was 2002 when I went in. Actually, when all that conversation happened was 2000. So 2002, I got accepted into an ortho program, University or uh, University of Rochester, Eastman Dental Center, mm-hmm. uh, and went up there for two years. Had a phenomenal time and a phenomenal education. Um, got out in 04 um, as an older orthodontist, and went Season. back in. Yes, seasoned. Yes, no, not seasoned with an honest, but a seasoned dentist. That's um, right. And uh, and when it came back out in '04, and you know, went, had every intention of going back to Atlanta, Georgia, where I was a prosthodontist. And during that time, my wife and mine's goals changed. Um, we went we went into the ortho program with a three month old, and came out with a uh, two year, three month old, and a about six month old. And, uh, 
and our goals had changed and we decided to downshift and move out into a more rural community, Madison, Georgia. And we've been here ever since. So in 2004, we started out here and we now have two practices, one in Madison, Georgia, one in Lake Oconee area of, of Georgia, which is a, a lake slash retirement community that is that has grown up over the last 15 years. And um, yeah, so that's kind of my story, my history. Well, I always find it fascinating. I've had it a couple of times on the show, uh, even some clients of mine in the past who had a career that they had, you know, went to school for and had started. And then at one point thought, yeah, I want to shift things up a little bit. Maybe I'm not in love with this thing. Uh, some of them were complete changes, like from engineering to orthodontics or you know, something like that. Or others have been within the profession, if you will, and then made a shift inside of that profession. One of the things that I find interesting is the, number one, I find it fascinating that people uh, shift like that, especially I think in our generation, our era, I, you know, I'm, 40, I'm 47, you said 53 earlier, like in that area, sometimes you, we did kind of have that idea where when you started something, that's just what you did for the rest yep. of your life, right? Yep. And so having the courage to shift that, first of all, is a big deal. But I'm always very interested in how first career has now affected the current career or if it's the third career, whatever. And, and the eyes that you're able to see it a little differently, you know what I mean by your eyes? Like you have different, oh, yeah. you have a different set of eyes that you yep. see things through. So how did your prosthodontic work, how does it affect what you do now? You know, it's interesting on a technical side of things, and I know all of your audience is a dentist, but, uh, or aren't dentists, but, um, you know, for the dentist out there, they'll definitely appreciate this. You know, as an orthodontist, we're, occlusion or the way somebody's bite comes together is a very dynamic situation as an orthodontist. But in dentistry, we're taught that that is a very static situation. Okay. Mm. So, you know, some's bite, the way their teeth comes together, you know, we're taught that that is a pretty static scenario that you treat to whatever the patient presents with. Right. An orthodontist is actually taught the exact opposite. You know, we're taught it is a dynamic situation. So, you know, you can kind of, in a construction aspect, you can say, well, you know, you've got the basement of the house. Any, any changes you make, you have to make those changes in relation to the basement. Right. The orthodontist literally moves the basement. Sure. You know? And so it, it but however, having said that, there are biologic realities that we have to operate within. Right. So from the technical aspect, I have a really firm appreciation for what the general dentist and what, you know, the restorative dentist has to deal with after I'm done. Right. And so that intimate relationship is very sound in my mindset. But having said that, I also look at cases that, a dentist will bring to me or that even a traditional orthodontist will look at, you know, that we all have our assumptions. You know, I, I love the saying, you don't know what you don't know. Right. And well, my envelope, because of my previous life, I know a little bit different than what a lot of people don't know. So, you know, there's always ways to get around stuff on our patients. That's awesome. The other, the other nice thing is the business aspect is interesting. You know, um, orthodontist, one of the things that makes orthodontics from a business perspective so appealing is that because of the nature of what we do, we have patients pay us out over two and three years. Right. 
So we have almost these serial annuities built in to our practice. So that even if we have a down month, you've got a lot of patients that are still paying you out for either current or previous treatment. Right. You know, so, you know, you may have a down month in production, but your income is going to remain pretty stable. Whereas dentistry, at least the way that we used to, were taught to practice, and I think my, most of my peers are still this way, it's pretty much fee for service. So if you have a down month, it's going to be a down month. Right. So one of the things I've learned from the ortho side, from the business side is find ways and find the courage to build in those opportunities to have patients pay you out. And a great example would be Crown and Bridge. Yeah. You know, instead of writing that, the patient, the one thing I've learned from orthodontics, patients pay you. If you do good work and they yep. trust you, patients pay you out. Like yep. we extend courtesy, I'll get a patient done in 12 months. They may pay me out over 36. Yeah. Right? And, and by and large, they pay you. There, so, was a, there was someone, I was sorry to interrupt you. There was someone I was talking to before who was like, look, if I were to go, he goes, yeah, they're going to be the people. He was talking about extending payments beyond treatment, far beyond yeah. treatment even. Uh, he was an orthodontist who you know, would even go down to $99 a month if he needed to for his, certain, yeah. for his patients. And he said, look, if I were to go to Vegas and I were to gamble and I knew that you know, 97% of the time I win, but three times lose. And he goes, that's about our average, about 3% failure rate, meaning 3% of people who actually would stop paying us, that was his at that time. He goes, I would do that. And he goes, I'd do that up to probably like 25, almost 30%. If I knew 70% of the time I was going to win, but 30% might not pay me, he goes, why would I not do that? There's actually some interesting thing from banks that we've learned over the years. You know, if if a bank is only losing 3%, they'll sit there and adjust it so they're losing, you know, 5 and 6%. Because they're not being aggressive enough on lending the money that they have. Right. Yeah. And so I look at it as like, you know, I'm lending my talent. Right. Yeah. And, yeah. and if somebody pays me out 99% of the time, I'm not lending my talent out enough. Right. That's true. You got it. Yeah. Right? It's very true. You know, it's like, so, you know, we, we, we and is, I mean, and, and as long as you're not at maximum capacity. Now, if you're at maximum capacity and you're getting paid 99%, yeah, kudos to you. Right. Good for you. are not at maximum capacity. I mean, I've got a lot of other time I can leverage. So, you know, so, you know, I would encourage if, you know, dentists or other dentists are listening to this, I would encourage you to find ways in your own practice to develop payment models. Don't sit there and write it off to care credit. You right. Know? Why, why, why should care credit get, you know, the, whatever they get, you know, the 7% and it's an insane percentage in my mind, Mm. you know, find ways to incur that on yourself and pay the lab bill and patients are going to pay you when they're happy. I mean, flat out, they're going to pay you. That is the one thing I can confidently tell you, you know, but find ways to do that. Well, it's interesting because I look at it too. There's the, there's the reverse of it, which I'm sure you can appreciate this too, is that in the dental world, they have what I call typically legacy clientele, meaning if mom comes into your dental office and getting her teeth done from you, typically you've also got her son, her, her daughter, and the husband coming to you as well. Not a lot of people shop around for multiple dentists in one family. That's right. But in the, in the orthodontic side, they do. And yep. oftentimes they will shop around. So 
we have to, in the ortho world, have to look at how can we become more dental in that space of how do we create such an experience and an opportunity and a reason for people to become our legacy clients to where we don't have to prove ourselves with every child, but it's just a given that if junior comes, mom's coming, little Sally's coming too, that we're getting the whole family as clients the same way a dentist does and how do you create that desire and want between it. So there's a lot of things I think we can learn from both uh, oh, chiropractic yeah. the same way. And everybody who is in a private practice that you're all in the same boat having to find the clients that will become legacy clients, finding better ways to have people pay you out and uh, have that, as you said, the annuity that's there. Yep. Yeah, important. That's awesome. Well, thank you for sharing that story with us. I always love digging into people's stories because it tells me so much about them and their journey. And I think it's what people, when they're listening to shows like this, can relate to, or at least uh, want to relate to certain parts of that that journey. So let's talk a little bit around the technology side of things and how you've really come to this place. I loved the title uh, that that you came up with with my team because I actually have a, a team out of Colorado who uh, when we were doing their core values and what they really wanted to say to their clientele, one of the things they wanted them to know was that, yeah, we will look high tech, uh, high tech, but be high touch. And okay. so when this came up, I was like, oh, that's great. So talk to me about what you're seeing going on in the practice industry, especially in the orthopedic world, about how technology sometimes can be a disruptor, but it also can be an interrupter of you actually having that connection with people. Yeah. So, you know, a few years, you know, I mean, 20 years ago, uh, the disruptor came to orthodontics and that was basically aligned technologies with the Invisalign. Product. Sure. Yeah. Um, and, and it really did disrupt our industry, you know, in, in a good way, but it was still disruptive. Sure. Okay. Well, you know, you fast forward to today and, and Invisalign or Align Technologies is, is no longer the only player in that market space. You know, there's other players now, their patents have run out, so there's other manufacturers. But the other really cool thing that started to come about, there's, this, there's a convergence of basically three technologies that are coming together right now in our space. The number one is we now have software packages that can, in my office or in our offices, physically move teeth around. So that's one, that's one key. The, the second component is, is we now have intraoral scanners that can take whatever we scan in the mouth and immediately have that scan file available in three dimensions on the computer for us to manipulate. So you've now got a scanner and you have the software package to do that, okay, to manipulate the teeth once you have it. Yeah. Third component is 3D printing, being affordable, all right? So you, met, you mate all those together and now we've got in-office printing, in-office manufacturing of 3D of aligners. And that is something that, you know, one of the things that I looked at about 10 years ago is we were getting in this habit of siloing patients. Either a patient was 100% braces or they were 100% clear aligners. And so you had these two treatment modalities, but they were, they were pretty myopic in their scope of care, okay? And it, was, it didn't take us long to realize that, you know, overlapping this care is a, would be a really cool thing, but it was totally unaffordable 10 years ago. I mean, sure. you could not get a patient to pay for the braces component and then turn around 
and and say we're, we want you to have an Invisalign bill on top of that. It's right. just, I mean, I'm sorry, it's, just, it's a very rare patient that would that would incur that. Sure. And so what would end up happening is the patient wanted Invisalign, then you would find, even if it was compromised, you'd still treat him with Invisalign because they didn't want braces. So fast forward to the conversations that we're having with patients now is that. I can look a patient now in the eye and confidently tell them I can get them out of braces in six months. So let's say they've got a situation that calls for braces. And, and in my book, it's, you know, if they need their arches developed, if they need their smiles developed in, in a significant way, um, there, there are just several things. We won't go into the technical side, but there's several things that patients just need braces for a period of time. So now I can sit there and tell them, what if I do braces for six months? Well, the cool thing is they rarely balk at that because sure. they don't have to go to two Christmases with braces. They don't have to go to two family reunions with braces. They don't have to explain to their mom on two different case, you know, periods why they're still in these things. Because right. the first time everybody's excited. Oh, I know you've always wanted to do that for yourself. So excited for you. The second time is always, oh, you're still in those things. You know, and, and it's yep. kind of one of those depressing. You're right. It's true. You know, so now when, when we're looking at patients, we can sit there and say, hey, if I can get you out in six to eight months and get you in clear aligners, what do you say? Our conversion rate on that conversation literally is 99%. Wow. That's awesome. Okay. And the cool thing about it is because we have that modality now, our, we're, doing, we're doing what braces do best and we're doing what aligners do best. Yep. And we're treating the patient the best we possibly can, you know? The other cool thing is, is the, the more on board we got within office production, the less dependent we are on external manufacturing. It's true. And our overhead last year went down another three points because of that. You know, just yeah. that one change. I can afford a lot of scanners and a lot of 3D printers on those three, on those three points. You know. It it is a, it is definitely a disruptor and a game changer. I have a couple of clients, and I've definitely interviewed a few people on the show about how being able to have a little more. Everybody wants to have as much control as they possibly can in their own business. Not having to rely on a party, not having to rely on other people having that quality control for you. It's, it's huge. And uh, I actually have a, a doc. I'm, I believe it's going to be the new normal in about five years, if not less, where uh, I have a doc who's doing the same day liners yep. because of this. And that's a huge selling point because, heck, what was it? Maybe seven, eight years ago, the idea of saying uh, braces was radical for some offices, right? It's like, oh, how am I going to fit that in my schedule? We got other processes we do. Now it's so common for more people to say their braces. And yet we've already transitioned into, oh, we could also do same day liners because we have oh, the yeah. technology that's right here. Yeah, and same day aligners, the same day aligners are a reality. You know, yeah. and if you develop these, if you develop these treatment modalities within your practice and adopt these technologies, same day aligners is just honestly, that's a workflow issue. That, yes. that's, that's not a technology issue. Yeah. You know? It's yep. what's your 3D comp printing capacity? How many printers do you have? How much staff? What's your time? Those are all workflow issues, you yep. know? So no, it's, um, it, it is 
unequivocally a game changer. And, you know, I like when I talk to people about it, I like to tell them that, you know, this, you got to look at this as almost like creating a work of art. It's like painting. Mm -hmm. And what this does is it gives you more brushes to paint with and more colors to paint with. Mm. And it gives you a lot more detail and a lot more control. And, and it's up to you now, if you have a palette of colors, go at it. You know, do, do you want to be, do, do you want to be specific and really detailed with your painting? Or do you really want to be general? You know, uh, now it's up to you to be an artist again. And that's, to me, that's the biggest thing about our profession is I operate under our mantras. You, you try to always do the best you possibly can. And this enables me, this gets me one step closer to doing better than I was doing it yesterday. You're right. It opens up so many more doors of activity of service to your clients to make sure you are really able to give them the best quality product and outcome that you can. And when it comes to what we we're talking about here today, it allows the technology to allow you to be more high touch with your clients. It's with more that. of a customized service. It's, it's interesting. Uh, last week, I went in to get some new workout shoes. I had had some for a while. And for a while, I'd been wearing um, some more weightlifting shoes. Yeah. Uh, that, okay, I'll admit, I, I'm a huge fan of The Rock, Dwayne Johnson. Perfect. And he has, he has his own shoe out, and that's why I bought it. That yeah, that dude's the bomb. Right. He's amazing. And, uh, but the shoe is a flat sole shoe and I could tell it was, it was bugging my knees a bit, especially when I'm on the treadmill and stuff like that. So I go to uh, this local here that we found online and it was a runner store. And as we go in the gentleman that's there, you could tell he's a runner, not just a runner, like lifelong runner, been running for 20, 30 years. And so my wife and I both are in there and we say, well, this is what we want. And this is the challenge that we're having. And he goes, okay, well, let me uh, have you walk for me just where you are right now. Just walk and go ahead and walk those 10 feet and back those 10 feet and just watched us walk. And from the walk alone, he was able to kind of diagnose what we needed. Cut to an hour later, we're both walking out that store with shoes that aren't custom to us, but custom to the needs that we have. And right. it's because he was able to use that. Now that, he has technology and there's great technology out there that could probably scan my foot and do all that stuff. But he was able to bring that touch of his own personal knowledge from his own experience and also his expertise. And that's what you get to do in your office with, all right, let me show you how I, through using all of the modalities that I've learned over the last 30 plus years of being able to uh, put braces on at the right time and take them off at the right time, use liners in the right perspective that I need them to. And then at the end, you're going to be wanted when you walk out of here. Probably you're going to get what you thought when you walk out of here. Yep. And, you know, it, it's, you know, it, it, the braces side, even traditional braces patients, we're getting them out of braces even a little earlier because we're applying old treatment philosophies. We had this thing in orthodontics called positioners from years ago, back in my generation. And, um, Basically, those were created to compensate for deficiencies in braces. But now we're getting patients out of braces even earlier and just finishing them in like three or four clear aligners. And we look at them as like active retainers, if you will. And, yeah, I was going to say that earlier. I'm like, you still have that self-control after six months and stuff. Yeah, so yeah exactly. Yeah. You know, and there's so many aspects that it's changed our practice. Patient loses their retainer and they have some minor movement. Well, now we have a modality that, that easily 
and predictably, you know, there's so many of them come in and say, oh, I know I'm going to need braces again, blah, blah. Like, no, you don't. We're just going to scan you today. And it's going to take like three or four aligners. You'll be back where you were. It's no big deal. And we didn't have that before. So when it comes to what you're doing, what you see other colleagues out there doing, um, do you feel like this is one area where you guys are really winning as a practice, be able oh. to take that technology and help? Without a doubt. And we're winning on both sides of the formula. We're, we're winning on the practice development side, you know, with, with our patients because they understand the control that we have. Um, you know, the Smile Direct Club argument, um, the same day, the, the direct-to-consumer products that are coming out there because Smile Direct Club's not the only one and they're not going to be. Sure. Yeah, no. Not. Um, you know, we now have, a, have a, a, our product that is designed in-house to meet the needs of that patient. You know, we have a, I always give a full treatment plan to, to all of our patients and let them know what their full needs are. But you know what, you still have those patients that look you dead in the eye and they're like, doc, I get it, but I only want this, this, yep. this. Yep. And yep. here's the deal. If, if I don't fix it, someone else gonna, will. they today will find a resource to fix it. Yep. You know? And I can honestly say, that's not the best resource for them. We've so, talked about for we've talked about so much on this show about how so many people. Uh, it's a challenge, yes, because there's that whole artistry part of it, right? You talked yep. about earlier that allows you to have more brushes, and you are an artist in what you do. You're creating, and as a doctor, you want to do the best for your patient. But there's a fact: the matter is, you want to help them at all or not at all. Like, cause you might get to help them only 10, 15, 20% because that's what they want is just those front four straightened out and you wish you could do more. And that's great to have that intention. But like you said, if you don't do it, they're going to go to somebody else. And are you really serving them if you're not willing to give them what they want there? Well, and, and we, we sort of, I, I, I sort of have adapted this thing a little bit different in the sense that I look at it as an opportunity to start a relationship with that person. Yes, exactly. And you know, it's like, let's say this year they only want to straighten that tooth. That's right. You know, awesome. But we've initiated a relationship with them. We manage them through that. They all of a sudden find out, hey, this isn't as impactful as I thought it was going to be on my life. So then now they have the, either the confidence because the treatment wasn't as bad as they thought it was going to be, or down the road, they have the confidence that we're straight shooters and we're going to treat them the best way that we possibly can. And, and maybe two years from now, they open up and they say, you know, doc, you were right. I really want to pursue full treatment. Fine. They now want to upgrade can, it. We want to upgrade it. We can have that conversation. But the bottom line is, if we didn't do the first step, yep, we never would have had the trust. And if you not only didn't do that first step, but show possibilities so they know that there is nothing hidden, you weren't like, they're, they're not going to come back to you. You might have 1% out of everybody that is upset at their end result because of what they said they didn't want, right? right it's like right. they get something and they're, well, you should have told me. Well, you are telling them. You're giving them the whole treatment plan. Like you said, you're giving them the, whole, the full treatment plan and then you're letting them make a choice. And they, the percentages of people who will come back to personally, not shop around, um, to get that shift in their treatment, to want something more, it's going to be actual. It's going to be great. It's going to be a, a no. It's going to be an easy lay down sell because it's already set up for you. Yeah. So I think it's a huge service where you're creating such high touch. Well, what we know 
is that in business, you've seen the evolution of what's been going on. You talked about it earlier, what happened 20 years into this industry, what's happened now with all the increase of uh, 3D printing and software and all the opportunities out there. So as a practice, how is your practice evolving with that? The team members that you have, has it been, an, is it an easier sell? Has it been, uh, uh, you might've had some legacy people with you that have been around for a while or some veterans, an easy sell to get them on board with this whole shift in technology and connection? Well, my initial veterans, no. You know, we, we, we had to have, uh, you know, that the, the good to great moment you know, yes. it's like, this yeah. is the bus and we're, you know, yep. we'll move you around on the bus, but sometimes people got to get off the bus. Yeah. You know? So we, we kind of went through that for a couple of years. Um, you know, but now um, I look at today and our team members that are with us today, um, they are onboarded with change in mind. I mean, I literally tell them in the Love that idea that if you don't like change, we aren't the family for you. Um, and I know that's a bit, that could be interpreted as being a bit harsh, but it's the, it's the reality to which we live. I mean, in, in most millennials and most, uh, Gen Zers, they get it, you know, they, they understand that they're going to be in five, six careers in their lifetime. I mean, they, you know, that they're not like you and I, they weren't trained right. to be in one career, you know? Right. Um, but having said that being in an environment of change, cause I have the opportunity to do a good bit of lecturing. We go to a lot of meetings and there's not a Monday morning that I don't come back from a meeting where we don't change at least one thing. Yeah. You know, yeah. I opened up today with, you know, the COVID-19 office meeting, you know, and mm. it was, here's the change. And the cool thing is, is our team is so used to change that they didn't even bat an eye. I mean, there was, so we've, we have made a concerted effort, my office manager and I, over, over the past decade, we've made a concerted effort to continually add people to the mix who are open to change. You know? I love it. I love, that, I love that phrase. I even wrote it down that, you know, I hope everybody who's listening to this really takes that to heart of when you onboard people, onboard them with change in mind, knowing that that's happening. Uh, there was an interview, I think, last week with uh, dental intelligence and the uh, the gentleman I was uh, uh, interviewing, he said that his mentor once told him, your job as a leader is to change people or change people. And, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And uh, that's what you get to do. And if you have that in mind, it's like, okay, well, it's fine if we're not a fit for what your needs are. Like if you're somebody who doesn't want to change, that's okay. That's cool. It's just, we do, so we're not a fit for you and what you want in your business. Yeah, and I would, I would offer to maybe modify that statement a little bit because in what I've learned in my 53 years is that I can't change people. I can educate them, but education is a two-sided discussion and right. they have to be open to education. Hence yeah, you have to give them the opportunity to change they, and they get to choose right. that. They, they get to choose whether they can change or not because I can force change but boy, nothing's worse than having a grumpy, That's never fun. you know, carcinogenic employee yep. who is constantly nipping at your heels behind your back. Yeah. You know, I can't believe Dr. Pascal did this, you know, and, and yeah. I've, yeah. I've been a part of those types of families where, you know, in my previous life where, mm -hmm. you know, you, those employees, you're, those are the ones that you got to invite off the bus. That's right. 
Um, and, Those and ones we call staff. Yeah, it, it's it's just this is part of the this is part of the the direction of the bus has changed a little bit. And are you willing to take this path with us? If you're not, that's that's fine. We need to find a way to yeah. get your life happy. You know, and, and that's really the most important thing is that we've got to always keep in mind is that it's a choice they're making and it's totally okay. It's they're wrong or bad. It's just, we're just, we're not a fit again for you. And I think that's so valuable. So with all the things that are going well in the business and how you guys are, are winning the game of business, um, I'm, every business has challenges. Every oh. business out there has a challenge. Uh, where would you say your biggest challenge struggle is right now in your, in, the, in your business? You know, my biggest challenge right now is consistent messaging from front to back. We're really kind of trying to hone in on, you know, yes, we have these with all this change, with all this technology, and it, and it, it literally now is weekly. There's some, some new aspect of what we're doing. And it's maintaining that communication from front to back so that we can be effective stewards and communicators of everything that we're doing in the office for our patients. Um, and and that, that, that internal communication and messaging is probably our biggest consistent advantage, or, or not advantage, uh, challenge. Because honestly, we don't have, you know, we're not a Fortune 500 company, sure. right? I don't have a staff of 50. You know, right. I can't have a change management specialist. Right. So, and, and I don't have time to be, a, I, I have to be an orthodontist. Right. You know? um, so solo practitioner, two locations, you know, limited resources and time as a resource. Mm -hmm. And so that's my biggest challenge is, you know, we, we try to get through it, but it's our biggest challenge. What have you done in the past to try to fix that? Um, you know, in the past, for the most part, it's been constant conversation with the staff, um, you know, we, I try to tackle, you know, one or two things in morning huddles to maintain that consistency. You know, we, we do, we do a lot of communication, um, you know, having our standing office meetings, having our standing administrative meetings, stand, standard, you know, standing management meetings. Um, I'll tell you one of the things we onboarded four years ago, um, in our case, it was a website called basecamp.com, but yes. it, can be, it can be any messaging type of system, but that did our that did me a world of good as far as tackling tasks and projects and management, getting that global perspective of what what was what yep. needed to be done. You know. Yeah, we I often recommend that where you're looking at Basecamp or Asana or Trillo or any of those that yep. can give everybody an outlook of what's happening right now. Uh, Smart Sheets is another one that's there where you can have that communication between uh, all departments and. Here's just a simple fact is that uh, I, what I found anyway, in any business, whether it be small or big, the fact of the matter is we're, communication is communication because we have to communicate it and we have a consistent basis and we have to be willing to repeat. We have to be willing to, uh, to manage those differences of those people and know that it's everybody's responsibility to have that conversation with one another front to back side to side, whatever it is, being able to, to have that. And uh, the best thing any practice can do is to train on how to have the crucial conversations. I love uh, Brene Brown's idea of rumbling, willing yep. to rumble with one another. Got to uh, be in the arena. 
Yeah, right. And and know that everyone's there to help elevate everyone else. No one's in our team to sabotage anybody else. We're there just trying to give the best possible can to everybody else. So when you come in with that in mind, it makes it a lot different. Uh, so, well, that's great. Reason why we love to point out challenges, of course, is to let everybody listening know that look, business is a constant evolution and it's a constant way to figure out problem solving and how and no one's going to have this perfect every time all the time things come up black swans happen just like what's happening right now right in oh, our world yeah. with with the uh, coronavirus and so you never know what's going to come up and it's a matter of just being able to roll with those punches and keep a positive outlook and know that we are all in this game together and we're only going to win or lose as a team so let's be one yeah. So thank you for sharing that. I really appreciate that. We've come to an, a part in our show where we answer the six questions that are kind of rapid fire off the top of your head questions. Are you willing to play? Uh, let's go for it. All right. What's the one thing that you wish that they would have taught you back in school? Uh, probably more business. Um, that, was the, that was the biggest thing. I mean, I think schools today are doing a better job of that. But really and truly um, in two areas of business, management and marketing. Yeah, um, I, I wish I had. And, and I'm not talking methodologies, more core philosophies. Right. Um, you know, the methodologies tend to change. The channels have changed, especially sure. in, in my years. But 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 the biggest was is is management and, and marketing. You know, those yeah. were the, those are two big things. You know, that all the daily stuff I was taught in dental school. Quite honestly, I don't even think about that stuff anymore. I mean, it, just comes, <laughs> yeah. it just comes naturally. Sure. You know, it, it's, it's automatic. And, uh, you know, the, but the things that I have to think with, think on and struggle and the stuff I take home at night, you know, it, it really comes down to, you know, what's the balance sheet? How do I manage my expenses? So I guess the financial finance would be a part of it too. Sure. You know, handling HR issues and concerns you know, what, how am I going to handle this marketing campaign? You know, yep. all of those things. And so I think, you know, from a holistic standpoint, it, it really is the business side. As a matter of fact, if I had a, a dental students listening to this, or if a dentist with a son or daughter that's currently in college, I, I would really recommend being a business major or an econ major or a marketing major. I mean, get your science cores out of the way, but focus on the things you are not going to get in dental school or even medical school for that matter, you know, yep. veterinarian school for that matter, because you know, the cold, hard facts, all of them, you're going to, you're going to learn all of that in professional school. Yep. Everything you need to know, you're going to learn in professional school, but what you're not going to get is the opportunities to go to the business school or, yep. you know, or the marketing school that is attached to, you know, you're not going to get those opportunities again. And there's the other side of it of uh, there's business and then there's being an entrepreneur in yes. business, right? Because now you're a, you're an entrepreneur and no one taught you this. No, we hear this a lot on the show of that being an area where, man, if we would just know a little bit more instead of having to learn from the school of hard knocks. On that note, learning, uh, what's the best book that uh, every practice owner should be reading? Um, you know, I kind of go back to the classics on this, uh, for, for one of them. And I read a book 15 years ago called the E-Myth. Yes. Um, and, uh, the, and I think it's been rewritten to the E-Myth revisited. Yep. Um, there's some core principles in that book about the difference between a technician yep. and an entrepreneur. Yep. And I found it extremely valuable 
to identify those characteristics. Because here's the reality. All of us who are professionals, no matter whether we're, you know, medical doctors, dentists, you know, veterinarians, whoever, there was, there was a technical side that drew us to that profession. And it's really easy to bury ourselves into what we're comfortable doing and being. 100%. And the E-Myth is a book that helped me bridge that gap in the importance on, oh, I need to be doing this stuff because I need to be yep. an entrepreneur. You know? yep. So it, it's a simple read. You'll read it in probably a weekend. Uh, you yep. know, and it was, it was pivotal. There's, there's two other books that I want to mention that are more current. Um, you've already mentioned one author's name, mm-hmm. uh, Brene Brown. That woman changed my life. Oh. Um, I, I've read almost all of her works. I think Good to Great, uh, not Good to Great, I'm sorry, uh, Daring Greatly was probably the best book. Yeah. Um, it, uh, her, you, you mentioned The Rumble. Mm-hmm. Um, her, her focus on shame research is, it's, I don't think there's another speaker that, that can sum, sum it better up than, you know, better than she can. Yeah. So I would highly encourage everybody to read that. It will enable you to deal with staff dilemmas, patient dilemmas. Yeah. I mean, so many things. You understand the importance of your own vulnerability so that they will be vulnerable for it with you. Yeah, no, it's great. No, it's awesome. And then the third book is uh, a little bit more of a recent read, uh, and it really has to do with life optics, is uh, Jordan Peterson's 12 Rules for Life. Yeah, good book, right? Yeah, that one one changed my optics on not only practice, but it changed my optics on family and life. Make your bed, uh, put your shoulders back, yep, yeah. I agree. I totally agree. Well, that's great. Okay, well, speaking of books, in my book, The Practice Rx, I focus a lot on team and team performance as the foundation for business growth. What do you see? You lecture a lot. You talk to a lot of doctors. So what do you see as the biggest challenge that uh, practice owners are having and facing with their teams and their office culture? Uh, honestly, um, we've talked about it the whole time. Change. Hmm. Um, I, I can't. Accepting change. It, well, and it's, and it's not only accepting, um, it's administering, frankly. The, the, the problem, the problem right. I see all the time is I will consistently get people come up to me and they'll frame a question from the aspect of how do I convince my staff to do? Yes. Yeah. Okay. You know, and, and, and that's, and I'll, I I try to look them in the eye and I'm like, look, you've got, you have to look them in the eye and say, this is where you want to take your practice. And you have to be confident in that. Yep. You can't walk into your office and say, what do y'all think about this? Right. You know? Now, it's okay to walk in and say, I want to do X. I want your input on how to do it. Right. But the X doesn't change. Yep. You know, now sometimes the, the team will affect how, how capital that X is, so to speak. But, you know, your path that you've decided on shouldn't be defined by your team. Now, how you walk, how you walk that path, that can be defined by the team. It's so funny you say that because I was just reading something today where um, someone was talking about this and I wrote, I wrote down, I was inspired by what they said. So I wrote down the power of your vision uh, when times are tough. Oh, sorry. The speaking of the power of your vision when times are tough, having a vision allows you to keep a vision even when the plan needs to change on how to get there. Without a doubt. Yeah. 
without a doubt. And, you know, and that's just, you know, with the technology aspect, you have a vision that you're putting together. And I mean, we've literally created on our own, our work, our internal workflows for delivering our in-office manufacturing of aligners, design mm-hmm. and manufacturing of aligners. Now I've done that with professional help with my other peers that are also doing the same thing. And we were constantly sharing. Yeah. But, and, and, but it still doesn't change the vision. It right. still doesn't change the reality. That the X is still coming. the spot. Yeah, absolutely. It's still the flag on top of the mountain that we're headed there. That's right. And we're headed So true. Yeah. All right. So sometimes people want to reach out and get to find out more about you. Maybe have you come out and lecture. What's the best way that people can reach out to you? Uh, you can always reach out to me via my website, pascalorthodontics.com. Um, feel free to use my email, uh, jep, J-E-P, at pascalortho.com. Awesome. Um, you know, it, it, I, I'm also on Twitter at J-E-Pascal, um, P-A-S-C-H-A-L, so J-E-P-A-S-C-H-A-L. Um, that's, and honestly, it, it really and truly just email me. Feel free to email me anytime. Awesome. I personally, that's, that comes right to my phone and I'll, I'll get to you as soon as I can. We'll put all that in the show notes to make sure people can reach out to you that way too as well. So last two questions are, what's the best advice that you've ever received in life or in business? It's just a pebble in the road. Meaning that no matter what you're looking at, no matter how big it seems, it's just a pebble in the road on life. My so great apropos right now. Oh, it, it's, it's very apropos right now. Yeah, you know it really is, but uh, yeah, I would say that's probably the best advice I've ever gotten because you know it. We we you are always met with issues, and some of them are very significant issues at that moment. Yeah, when you look at it in the scope of your life, it ends up being just a pebble in the road. The important thing is don't make it into a boulder, you know, <laughs> because you got to get you got to get over it. You know, or, or even worse, don't turn it into a boulder that you put a chain on and chain that around your leg. Oh, so you carry it with you for the rest of your life. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I, and I would love to look at you dead in the eye and honestly say, I've never done that. Oh, I, no, we've all I'd done be that. Pinocchio sitting here. <laughs> sure, yeah, no, we've all done that. Our last question. What's the best resource tool that you've used to grow your practice? The best what tool? Resource or tool. Uh, to grow my practice, um, mentorship. Um, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go old school. Nice. I really am. Um, it, mentorship. You know, th- th- there are so many attempts these days at being a technological one-hit wonder. And you would think that me of all people, after our discussion today, would be would point to some technology. Sure. Um, and I would say Basecamp is is. Basecamp is probably a pretty significant tool that we use, um, but un, undeniably getting good mentors and, and there's a plural there. You know, yep. I've got, I have a business mentor that I go to um, that I talk to probably once a week. Um, I have a, I have several professional mentors. Mm-hmm. Um, that I talk to. Uh, I'm a part of several Facebook groups. Um, you know, obviously we all have these closed off professional Facebook groups. Sure. But really and truly, when I, when I think of where my practice is today versus where it would have been had I been the classic 
cottage industry, you know, this is my practice and I don't really, I, I, I go to one meeting a year and that satisfies me yep. and blah, 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 blah. I am 300%, 500% better than I would be, would have been had we not done that. No, and I totally all agree. All of that is on the shoulders of other, other people that A, came before me and mm-hmm. B, were willing to share. A hundred percent. I dedicated a whole part around mentorship and the importance of it and what mentors can do. And it is the only way that we actually grow. I, I have this whole philosophy around how back in the day, you know, we learned from grandma and grandpa and uncle because we lived next to them. And now once we started being you know, transient and moving all over the world, we need people to help us be our grandmas and our grandpas with that wisdom and that understanding and also we need people who are outside of our jar yep. who aren't seeing it through our, our own sunglasses. Uh, Keith Cunningham talked about you can't smell your own breath. So you need someone to tell you to take a mint, right? I, it's, oh, yeah. <laughs> it's so true. Yeah, I've got to, you know, it's funny, my employees, they, they, they always know they have, they have the authority to pull me aside to tell me to clean my face off or, you know. Yeah, right. Because yeah, you, you know, I, I can't smell my own breath and the I reason, can't see my own face. Well, there's a reason why Tiger Woods has, what, three different coaches, right? And none of them have ever won a PGA Tour. All of them that are just dedicated to making sure he's got the right swing, making sure he's doing his you – know, all of that is part of the, the course. Oh, so, without a doubt. Without a doubt. So yeah. important. Well, man, thank you so much, Dr. Jepp. You have been a, a plethora of knowledge and just so much fun to talk to. And I know that people who are listening to the show got a ton of knowledge out of this and understanding that – we are in this high tech world and that it's okay to embrace that long as at the same time you're embracing it so you can be more high touch with your patients and you definitely yeah. have to out with that. Thank you. You know, and I, and I just want to, if you'll permit me, I want to close with one aspect in all yeah. of this ch- discussion about change and about technology. It's important for us all to realize that you're going from an analog world back to an analog world. Mm. And this isn't all digital. You know, and the touch points are how do we get it into the digital world and then how do we get it back out? Yeah. And, and that's, it's, that's the management, you know, that's the key is how do we deliver these to an analog world? Because if, if you don't satisfy that touch point and those transitions, they can get it elsewhere. You know, yeah. it, 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 if, if, if that isn't intimate enough and satisfactory enough, then frankly, a computer and a robot and some level of technology is going to be able to deliver it. Yep. That's so true. And it's the only way you're going to, I I think when the game of business is really to remember that. So thank you so much for those words of wisdom and all that you shared with us today. It really has been a pleasure. Appreciate it. Thanks, Tina. Appreciate it. And everyone listening to the show, thank you again for tuning in to another episode with some great advice, some great ahas that I got. I even, you know, writing stuff down, hopefully you things down too for yourself. And remember that our goal here on the Propreneur Podcast is always to help you be more proactive, productive, and profitable in all areas of your life and business. Until next time, everybody, have a great day. Thanks so much again for listening to the Propreneur Podcast. We really appreciate your support. If you haven't subscribed already, please make sure you do so. Also, if you feel like you might be a good fit for our podcast as a guest or know somebody who you think would be, go ahead and email us at dino at dinowatt.com. Again, thanks for support. We'll see you on the next episode.